Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Good morning, Freedom House Church. If you are not awake yet, I am going to wake you up, shake you, quake you. We're going to have a good time today in the house of the Lord. And for all of those that are watching online, we just want to welcome you uh, no matter where you are. I know there's North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Washington, D.C., which we need you watching. Um, We've got a whole lot more states and countries that are joining on as we speak, and we just want to say we're so glad that you are. And Charlotte Mecklenburg Detention Center to all... uh, All of you there, we just want to welcome you as well from the rest of the Freedom House family. So we are in a series right now called How to Win Within, and it's all about the matters of the heart. Have you ever wondered, like, why you do the things you do? Have you ever wondered, why does that make me so angry? Or why can he just not stop talking? Or why is she so fearful? Or why does he complain all the time? Have you ever, like, wondered those things? Like, why do you do the things you do? Well, the simple answer is, is it's the heart. Now, when we say the heart, a lot of people just think of the muscle that pumps blood to all of our body. Or maybe you think about the chocolates that you get in that heart-shaped box if you got some this year, or maybe you're thinking about the nice card with the heart that somebody drew on it, but the heart is way more than that. The Bible describes the heart as our inner man, and the Bible says this in Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, above anything else that you do, guard your heart because everything, everything that you do flows from it. Wait a second. I am to guard my heart because everything that I do flows from it? That's a pretty big statement right there that the Bible says. Every single thing that I do flows from my heart. You see, the heart is the real you. It's where your beliefs affect your behavior. 
And so we're going to dig down into those matters of the heart today, and we're going to dig into the Bible, because Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, he gives a whole parable on the heart. He talks about the different conditions of the soil. He likens our heart to soil. And the thing that is so interesting about that, how many people in here are married? All right, all right. So when your spouse repeats something over and over, what might that tell you? Either one, you're not paying attention, or two, you better be hearing this. That's why your wife says something over and over, because she wants you to hear it. The thing that is so interesting about this parable is it appears in all of the Gospels except for one. The same story. So Jesus is wanting us to understand something and get something down in the soil of our heart. So we're going to have a conversation about that today. We're going to talk about the soil of our heart. But before I do that, I just want to, like, give you um, a little bit. I didn't know a whole lot about soil, so I just kind of jumped in and decided I'd go consult Google. I asked Mr. Google, tell me what makes soil good and bad, because I didn't really understand what bad soil was, and I wanted to go into reading these parables. I wanted to go into them understanding and knowing what exactly does it mean to have bad soil? What constitutes bad soil? Because what Jesus says in this parable is the seed that was sown was good seed. It wasn't that the seed wasn't good. It was where it landed wasn't good. And so for me, I started thinking about a lot of times in life I hear people say, you know, I just don't think the word of God works. And what I think really what they're saying is, is it's not that the word of God doesn't work. It's just maybe it didn't land on the right soil when the seed was sown. So we're going to check on our soil. And, and before we jump into the parable, I want to tell you what Mr. Google said. Mr. Google said one of the things that makes for bad soil is it doesn't have topsoil on it. The topsoil is the first four to eight inches of the soil. It's where all of those little organisms and all the healthy organic matter lives. It's in that top four to eight inches. That's where all the nutrients lie. That's where all the good stuff, good stuff lies. And when you go underneath of that, it's when you get into the clay and where everything is hard. Good soil is not soil that's hard because what happens when the rain comes or when seed comes to hard soil, that underneath portion, if it was just mainly clay, what would happen is that erosion would occur or the seed wouldn't be able to penetrate that hard soil. Another thing that I found out when I was studying about the soil, because I want to know what makes soil bad. Another thing that I found out is soil that's got too many rocks in it. Because what happens is if the soil is too rocky, it will not allow for the root system to go deep. It keeps the, the roots up in the top because they just can't get down in there and, and cling on to what they need to cling on. So the root system is shallow. The third thing that I found out that makes soil poor soil is soil that is contaminated. Something else has come in that has caused the soil quality to be poor. It could be pollutants. It could be maybe 
um, poisonous weeds or other things that are coming in that are disrupting the soil. It could be sprays or pesticides or something released by a factory waste. Any of those type of things where it's just too much going on that shouldn't be there, that can also be another thing that affects the soil. So now, knowing those things, I wanted to go back to the Gospels and Matthew 13 in particular and read and find out what exactly Jesus was saying when he began to tell this parable. Because you have to understand, they were an agricultural society. So when Jesus began to talk, they understood. And since we're not an agricultural society, and I'm not really good at farming, I mean, I kill succulents. That's pretty bad. Like, plants that are meant for you to starve them, I kill them. So I'm like, I need to know, what is, what is Jesus saying here? So we're going to dive into this. The first thing that Jesus begins to say in Matthew chapter 13 in this parable, he talks about hard soil. He says, hard soil is like a hard heart. When the word of God comes and tries to penetrate, it cannot take root. Why? Because the soil is hard. The heart is hard. The Bible describes it when the seed is sown, it kind of scatters along the top, and then that allows for the birds of the air to come in and try to steal it. It's easy for the word of God to be stolen from us when it does not penetrate our heart, when it lands on hard soil. Another thing Jesus began to say is the rocky soil is not good soil. Rocky soil. I started going, man, that sounds an awful lot like Google, except Jesus was the original Google. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was telling us way before Google ever did about what constitutes as good or bad soil. He said rocky soil because what happens is when the seed tries to come, it's not able to take root, and so it stays shallow. And when the sun comes up, when the heat gets turned up, when trouble comes, it burns up because the roots are exposed. That kind of reminded me of 2020. I saw a lot of people who withered away because their roots were not deep. Their heart was rocky. I saw a lot of that go on. The third soil Jesus began to describe is the crowded soil, soil that was already full of other things. In this particular passage, what Jesus was saying is that because there were so many other things in the soil, it began to choke out that what was good. Now, I remember this from gardening. I remember planting some lettuce and it growing. And because I didn't take care of the weeds, it ended up overtaking that which was good. Not because I didn't plant good seed, but because I didn't keep tending and cultivating and making sure the soil was good. And then the last type of soil or heart condition that Jesus began to describe is the good soil. What does good soil look like? It looks like when seed is sown into a good heart or good soil, we have a return, 30, 60, 100-fold. So to me, that gives us a clear picture of our heart condition. What is growing in our heart? Are we having a good return? Is it fruitful? Are we having a heart that's hard or rocky or crowded? 
Or do we see where there's a lot of fruit, good fruit that's being produced because the soil of our heart is right? Because it doesn't matter how good the seed is if the soil is no good. It doesn't matter. How do we know practically if our soil is good or not? Well, let me give you a practical answer. It's found in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. It says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. How do you know what your heart looks like? Listen to what is coming out of your mouth. Examine what is coming out of your mouth. Is fear coming out of your mouth? Is doubt coming out of your mouth? Is unbelief, is frustration, or is peace coming out of you? Is God's passion and love and care showing in the way that you're talking, the way that you're speaking? Because your words will betray you. You may be able to hide. We can't look in and see your heart beating, but we can know the condition of your heart based upon the words that are coming out of your mouth. There is a connection, a a thread that goes from your mouth to your heart. So what we're going to do today is we're going to figure out what constitutes bad soil practically, practically, and what constitutes good soil. First thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about bad soil number one. Number one is pride, a prideful heart. How do I know if I'm prideful? Where the good news is is that if you are prideful, people have told you. They have told you if you are prideful, and they've probably told you way more than once. But the problem is, is we don't always listen, especially if we have a prideful heart. Because what does that look like? It looks like imperfect people are telling us things, and we don't want to hear from imperfect people. So guess who that excludes? All of us. All of us. What does pride look like? Well, pride is an unwillingness to yield. Pride says, don't correct me. And in the culture we're in now, pride looks like this. I am a free thinker. Don't tell me anything. I have a right to think the way that I want to think because I'm a free thinker. That's what pride looks like. Let me tell you something about pride. Pride cannot hide. You cannot hide pride. Pride has to be seen. If you go through the Bible, it doesn't matter, like, where you read. The Bible is so specific that if God loves you, which he does, he will correct you. And often he'll use other people to do it. Sometimes we're like, well, God didn't tell me. Yeah, he did ten times through the people around you that you're not listening to. Matter of fact, I'm convinced that's why God made marriage. So they can tell us things that we need to hear that we won't hear on our own. Do I have any amens in here? If you can't say amen, just say, oh me, oh me. Here's the thing that I know. 
It is often hard to receive correction, and we're going to dig in and find out why in a minute. But sometimes it's also hard to give correction, and I'm going to tell you why that is right now. I had a friend that was coming um, to visit. He was here with us in Charlotte, and he was telling me about his life group back at his church. He said, you know, we had the, the best life group. We would go around, and we did this, like, progressive dinner, and it was, you know, about 10 couples, and we, we just loved life group, except there was this one family Like, their kids were just out of control. So we're trying to figure out, like, life groups are supposed to kick up again, and we're trying to figure out, like, what to do about it. We think that we're either going to do one or two things. We're going to start the life group and just not tell them about it. (laughs) Or we're possibly considering just canceling the life group altogether. And I said, well, wait a second, you didn't, you didn't talk about the third option. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, the option where you go and tell them about their children. And he's like, are you kidding me? He's like, how long have you been pastoring? You know when you say something to somebody about their kids, you might as well just put on boxing gloves because it is going to be a fight. And I said, well, why wouldn't you have that conversation? And he said, because I don't want to hurt their feelings. And I said, not true. That's not true. He said, what do you mean? I said, that's not why you're not going to say anything. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, no, 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 no. People that avoid conflict or run from conflict, it's not because you're concerned about their feelings. Let's just make that plain. He's like, well, break that down for me. I said, I'm so glad you asked. I will. I said, what it is, is if you correct him and he does not hear you or gets angry and lashes back at you, it makes you feel bad. Don't make it like you don't want to hurt his feelings. What you don't want is you don't want to have to deal with your feelings. And he's like, ow, that really hurt. And I go, it did hurt, but here's the thing. You have an opportunity to win a brother and keep this family and help these children. Why would you not say so? I said, I know it's hard, but you just told me that y'all have been doing life together. And if somebody you're doing life with will not hear you, that's not on you. It's on them. So he went home. He had the conversation. He said, I I did it man to man. and, And... He lit me up like the 4th of July. And I said, you know what? That's not your problem. Your problem is not that you told somebody and they came back and lit you up. You did your part. And as long as you do things in love, you mix truth and love together, that's not on you. I said, so just trust that if If he hears from God, that he'll circle back around. But if he doesn't, then you keep going on with your group and do what you need because he wasn't going to be able to grow with you anyway. Two weeks later, he called me back. He said, you are not going to believe this. We met with them, and they apologized and asked for help with their children. And I said, the areas in our life that aren't doing so great, they are sore spots. 
Have you ever had anybody, like, check you on your weight? My pastor did that. My pastor did that when he noticed I had gained some weight. This was, like, years ago. And I was like, that, that's a little sensitive. I mean, I did have three babies. I mean, I very easily could have popped back at him and got on my woman's rights and, and all of my, you know, three babies and how dare you. But there was something he was trying to get to the root of. He's just going, hey. And come to find out, I actually had a cyst, multiple cysts that were on my ovaries that were mass-producing insulin, which was actually part of the root cause of it. Had he not corrected me and I not have gone to find out, I would have lived in that condition. Now, I could have justified being a woman, and how dare you as a man that hadn't had three kids, how dare you say anything to me? How often do we do that? How often when somebody touches a sore spot, and there's nothing more sore than a woman in her weight, can I just tell you? You will not find it. You will not find it. Here's the problem. People do not know how to receive correction without it condemning them. People don't know how. Here's the responses I wrote down that I get most of the time because we're in a position where we have got to correct people a lot. We are shepherds. We are not just, you know, Christian celebrities that get up here and preach so we can get a crowd and get everybody hyped up, get you online, get ready, get ready, hype you, hype. No. We are pastors that shepherd your soul, that care about your heart, that want to tend the soil. And sometimes we've got weeds that we have to pull. What are people's responses often? Anger. How dare you say that to me? Who do you think you are? Or fear. Do you still love me? Or rejection. Are you going to think bad about me now? Are you going to not care about me anymore? Or shame. Shame will cause people to just shrink back and hide. When, when you correct them, they, they get offended because they don't know how to separate the performance from the identity. When you say something to them, they think you're, you're shaming their identity when really you're trying to course correct the performance that you see. What else does it look like? It looks like resenting. I, I am so mad at you. I resent the fact that you said that. Or when my kids were teenagers, it looked like this one, rebellion. Oh, yeah, you said that? I'm going to go do the opposite. Thank the Lord I've got just a few weeks left until my last one is no longer a teenager, and I am out of the teenage years. Hallelujah. Woo! Yeah. All right, next one. People can feel devalued. Devalued. Number eight is the one that my husband his go-to would be the defensive, the defensive, defensive denial. That's something since the day we got married, I'm like, work on this, work on this. And he actually a few weeks ago came to me and he said, you've said this to me for a long time, but I actually, you told me something earlier today that I did wrong. And he goes, I didn't say anything out of my mouth. My first response was I wanted to pop back at you. 
He said, and then I checked that response and said, why is that how I wanted to respond to her? And he came to me and he said, because of what you said to me, I felt like I had failed. And because I felt like I had failed, I didn't want to come across to my wife as a failure, so I popped right back at you. And I said, baby, when you talk like that, you look sexy. When a man actually starts to figure out some of those hidden things in the heart, I'm like, you looking real good right now. You start to acknowledge and see those things. Let me just tell you, men, that's all she wants. She doesn't need you perfect. She, maybe when you start talking about your heart and how you're recognizing things and you're seeing things, that's like, woo, baby, you just became sexy to her. I'm giving you guys a little help right now. You're supposed to say thank you. Okay, there we go. There we go. All right, all right. What happens also when people get corrected? They can withdraw. They withdraw. They isolate. They put up the walls. They can be embarrassed. I've seen that happen before when we've had to have some serious marriage conversations with people. They get really embarrassed. They can get complacent. They can be nonchalant, just kind of slough it off, or they can go, I'm not wrong. You're the one that's wrong. I think my go-to is, is I start, like, analyzing what they've said and trying to figure out what if it's right, what if it's wrong, what's the percentage. Like, here's the thing. If somebody loves you and cares about your heart, just listen. Just listen. All right, all right. So you know what this tells me? The fact that people struggle so much when it comes to correction, it tells me that they need to read a few more scriptures in the Bible. Because all through the Bible, and I determined I would rather deal with the pain of being corrected than have to deal with the pain of disobedience. When was the last time that somebody corrected you and you actually said, thank you? Think about it for a second. When was the last time that somebody corrected you and you thanked them for caring enough to bring that to your attention? Because they don't want to leave you where you are. Just saying. Do we respond with gratitude? Are we somewhere on that list? When you said something I don't like, do I feel ashamed, embarrassed, or do I go, man, thank you? Thank you for bringing that to my attention. And I'm not talking about the haters that, like, bomb you on Instagram. I'm not telling you to thank them. I'm telling you to thank the people who are in your circle, your sphere of influence, who really, truly do care about you. So what does is, what is good soil look like? It looks like a humble heart. A humble heart. You see, the moment that we become unteachable is the moment we stop growing. Our soil's not good. But good soil looks like a humble heart. Humility always has a low posture, a low stance. It's always teachable. There is a lack of arrogance or haughtiness in somebody that has a humble heart. They're always thankful. Somebody with a thankful heart, man, I just want to be around them. They're always so humble. They walk in just this gentleness of spirit. They know how to serve. They know how to submit. There's no pride there. I love it. When you can't be corrected, it'll lead to being offended. 
And that is the next soil we're going to talk about is the offended heart. The offended heart. What does offense look like? It looks like holding on to irritation, annoyance, or anger. And it's really a trap that will keep us stuck. Now, what does that look like modern day? Well, I think the media is really good at keeping us offended. Why? Because when you're offended, you're always going to be tuning in. Because you're, like, it sucks you in. Well, what are they going to say now? What are they going to do now? What's going to happen now? And we tune in looking for more things to be offended about because we know the offense is there. We know it. All we have to do is just turn the TV on. You see, if they can keep us offended, they make a lot of money off of offended people. Just look at what happened this last year. Guess who made $90 million off of offended people? Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. You keep people offended, you keep them you keep them on the line. You keep the worm on the hook and you just keep reeling them in and reeling them in and reeling them in. Culture wants us to stay angry. Culture wants us offended. And some of you might go, "Well, no, what they said offended me. It's not possible." It's not possible. I could walk up to you, stomp on your foot, kick you in the shin, and run away. And did you know that you have the choice of whether you are offended or not? No one can make you offended by what they do or what they say. No one. It is something you pick up. No one can hold you hostage of offense unless you allow them to. Sometimes we give people way more credit than they should have. Jesus said it is impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, there are going to be opportunities left and right for you to be offended. Don't take the bait. Offended people are in two categories. Two categories. The first is people who have been treated unjustly. That's the first category. And the second is those who think they have been treated unjustly. What do I mean by that? They're two very distinct things. And what I've found out a lot of times is that that second category is actually way bigger than the first. I think somebody has offended me, but maybe they really haven't. Let me give you an example Let's just say that um, I'm five years old and I have a splinter in my hand that I got in my hand. It's a pretty big splinter. It's bad. It hurts. But I'm five years old and had this traumatic experience and didn't have it removed. Now I'm 10. The splinter is now no longer just a little splinter. It's an infection that's starting to go down my hand. Now I'm 20. The infection isn't just down my hand. It's going up my arm. Now I'm 30. The infection is spread. Now I'm 40. I'm, I'm septic. I've got sepsis. Like, I've got infection running through my body. And what happens, Adam, can I borrow you for a second? What happens is I, I've got this infection. It's, hey, Adam, how are you? Adam, you hurt me. 
What is wrong with you, Adam? Why did you hurt me, Adam? You should have known better than to hurt me. That is so wrong of you. Now, did Adam hurt me, yes or no? Actually, he did. He did hurt me because I'm infected. I've got wounds, and I've got a sore and pussy hand. He actually did hurt me, but should it have hurt? If I would have taken that splinter out long ago and treated it when it needed to be treated, then a normal interaction, hey, Adam, what's up? How are you, man? It's good to see you. Thank you, Adam. That would not have hurt. But because I have walked through my life with infection that I have been unwilling to heal and deal with, anytime I get close to somebody, any type of proximity, and you have hurt me because you brushed up against my wound. And I am offended at you because you should have known better than to have done that. I'm not saying it didn't hurt. What I'm saying is that it should not have. We've got so many people walking through life offended because they think they have been treated unjustly. Let me tell you how to know if you're offended because I know you're just wondering that. How do I know? How do I know? Because the other person's name is on your lips way more than it should be. You just can't stop talking about them. Ten years have gone by. You can't stop talking about the ex who did you wrong. You can't stop. You desire pity more than you desire progress. An offended person is a victim. An offended person needs your pity. They want you to feel bad for how wrongly they have been treated. Here's another one. You aren't praying for them. You're talking about them. You know, well, I, I'm not talking about them. Like when I said what I said on Instagram or Facebook, I didn't mention their name. We all know who you're talking about. When you start subtweeting, that's an offended heart. All right, another way. You won't listen to wise counsel. Offended people rarely will ever admit they are offended. As a matter of fact, offended people congregate together. Most of you, you know, realize that we've got a central campus, a south end campus, a Lake Norman campus, an online campus, and we're in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Detention Center. What some of you might not know is we actually have a sixth campus over in Concord where the offended people have gone that all congregate together. Yes, she said that. She did say that. Over in Concord, where all the offended people have gone because they didn't like the stance we took on marriage or they didn't like the fact that they got corrected. Offended people gravitate to each other. They like that. Birds of a feather flock together. You know, I, I, I want you to sit with me and let's talk about our offense and how they made us mad and they said something that we don't like. Well, if your church isn't saying something you don't like, you need to find another church because they are not shepherding your heart. Last time I saw in the Bible, Jesus did not pass out bubble gum. 
He said things that offended people. Some of the crowd got up and left. Jesus didn't go, come back, I'm sorry, okay, you can make marriage whatever you want it to be. Not going to happen. Are you with me? So if you're offended at my message, I will tell you where in Concord you can go to join everyone else. What does a good soil look like? I love you, baby, if you're watching this on replay. Good soil looks like an unoffendable heart. What does that look like? It looks like no matter what happens, you don't let offense stick to you. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and there was this big plant that we always used to drive by, and it was the DuPont factory. It was a big factory. Y'all ever heard of DuPont? Well, back in the late 70s, yes, I'm dating myself, my family was so excited because there was this new thing coming out. It was called Teflon. And it would actually make it so your pans were non-stick. And for those of you who eat eggs, this was a really big deal when this came out. And so when I was writing this message and thinking about this, I thought, we need more Teflon Christians. That no matter how hot the heat gets, no matter what tries to stick, we don't let it stick. We stay unoffendable. You see, what happens is people that always find offense, you know, they're always like looking around. Their arrogance, they're disguising it as virtue as virtue. But here's what I want you to understand. No mature Christian, no mature Christian who is seasoned in the word of God has any excuse to live their life offended. None. None. All right, another type of bad soil is fear. Fear. It's the constant threat of danger. Fear fear that is not dealt with will turn into constant anxiety. How, how, how can I get through this? What's going on? And, and when the word of God tries to come, a fearful heart is always a heart that's being turned upside down. The soil, the, the soil is constantly being churned because there's just a lot of fear and, and unsettled and restless. And it's hard for the seed to take root when there's so much fear going on. What does that look like practically? It looks like, you know, feeling paralyzed. Or feeling like there's a constant threat. If you read my husband's book, he talked about this in detail. Uh, he, he wrote a book called The Panic Room, where he started having panic attacks in the early days of our church. And he didn't know what was going on. He literally thought it was like a demon attacking him or something because he was in a foreign country where the voodoo drums were going. He had no idea what was happening And he had never dealt with anything like that before. And I remember when he realized what it was, he said to me one day, why am I dealing with this? I am not the emotional one. You are the emotional one. Why are you not having this problem? Why am I having this problem? And I said, 
That's exactly why you're having the problem, because I get my emotions out, Mr. Maxwell. I will talk it out, shout it out, pray it out, whatever I got to do to get it out. I'm not stuffing my emotions. So here's the thing. What can happen in a fearful heart is what we try to do is we try to take God's spot for him. We're scanning the environment. We're scanning everything, looking for what's wrong, what's going to happen, waiting for the other shoe to drop. How can we focus on the Lord when we're constantly allowing fear to take control of us? When we're constantly looking around for what's the next threat, because what we're saying is, God, I really don't trust that you're going to look out for me, so I've got to do it myself. Now, I remember having to deal with this because that's the way I grew up. I was physically, emotionally, sexually abused as a kid. And so I learned, you better look out for yourself. But when I was in my early 30s, the Lord had a conversation with me. He said, how about you let me do my job and thank your body for all those years trying to protect you? Because that's what your body's trying to do when it starts going like it's trying to protect you. It's the fight or flight responses, and your adrenaline is overpowering your body. So thank your body that it was trying to help you, but why don't you let me? It's like he tapped. I went in on this dance. Let me lead. How about you let me lead? How about you let me guide you where you're not having to try to figure everything out, but you're exhaling. You're allowing peace, peace to come in. That's what the good soil looks like. It looks like peace. God, I trust you. God, I am not trusting in an outcome. God, I am trusting in you, the author and finisher of my faith, the maker of heaven and earth. God, I trust you. I trust you, God. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. What does bad soil look like? It's the last one. Bad soil looks like unforgiveness. Bad soil looks like unforgiveness. You know, you guys heard me just mention about things that happened to me when I was growing up. A whole lot happened. That's why I'm not the type of person, like if you come to me and you want to tell me all the things that are going wrong, I'm going to help you focus on how to get out of it. I'm not, I'm going to let you cry and I'm going to let you hurt and then I'm going to say, okay, now let's, let's do something about it. Because I went through way too much And I saw God do way too much for me to pastor and let people stay where they are. The sexual abuse, my entire childhood. Grew up in a house with a narcissistic mother that was very abusive. I have not talked to my mother in 15 years. Because we gave an ultimatum. You get into counseling or you can get yourself healed or we're going to have to put up boundaries. Boundaries are good things. Boundaries are different than walls, though. You see, for a long time, I struggled with forgiving my mother, forgiving my grandfather, forgiving all those who were in a place of authority that were supposed to protect me and look out for me and didn't. When my grandfather went to jail for what he had done to me, and, of course, we found out there were others, my mother went and bailed him out. 
because she didn't want anybody to find out. It was like, let's just keep this quiet. You don't need to talk about it. You don't need to say anything. I don't want anybody to find out. There was never any care for me. There was never any, I'm so sorry that my dad did this to you. Never any of that. And so for years, I was so angry with her. I was so mad at her. I was actually more mad at her than my grandfather because she didn't protect me. She was my mom. And so for years, what I did is I built this high wall and I said, I'm not letting you in. And you see, what happens is when you build that wall, it keeps everybody out, not just those who have harmed you. I was keeping God out. I was keeping other people out because I couldn't trust people. And, And here's the thing. I said, I can't let my walls down because then she'll come back in. And, and if I don't stay mad and angry and I, and, I, and I don't keep my walls high and fortified, then she'll come back and hurt me again. i got to keep them high, 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 high. And the Lord said to me, there's a difference between a wall and a gate. You see, a wall keeps everyone out. A gate has a door that can let good and bad in and out. And the Lord said, be a gate, not a wall. And he said, I want to come in. But you're going to have to forgive your mom. And I said, God, you know all that she did. But we haven't talked to her in all these years. You know all that she did. And all she had to do was get help. And she chose not to get help. She chose that. And he said, and you can choose to forgive her. I said, but, but I, don't, I don't want her back in because she, she hasn't changed. And he said, no, no, no. You're confusing forgiveness with trust. Forgiveness deals with the past. Trust deals with the future. Forgive her for the past, but don't trust her for the future. She's not trustworthy. But by you holding on to the past, you aren't hurting her. You're destroying your own life. It's like you drinking the poison, hoping the other person dies. Let her go. And I said, Lord, I want that forgiveness. I want that forgiveness. I want the good soil of forgiveness. Mark eleven twenty five. it says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. It's hard to let somebody go that has hurt you, that has said things about you, that has cheated on you, that has abused you. How did I do it? Well, first... God called me out on it. And then second, what I decided to do is every person that I could think of who has hurt me or harmed me, I wrote their name down on a piece of paper, and I committed to pray over them every day. Every day until I no longer felt the things I was feeling. Now, what does that mean? 
It means when I am earnestly praying for somebody else's well-being, it's really hard for me to talk bad about them. I can't. Every day when I'm praying, God overtake somebody with blessing and pour blessing out on them, out on their families. And I can't say anything bad about them when I'm praying over them. Would you stand on your feet with me today? I've seen there's a lot of tears in the room today, and I understand a lot of us have been hurt in life. Things that we didn't choose to happen, happened. But can I tell you what you can choose? You can choose today to let it go. You can choose today to let the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords let you out of that prison with the invisible walls that you've been in because your soil needed adjusting. Would you just close your eyes and bow your head? I want to read this psalm over you. And as I do, I want you to ask yourself, is there any soil in my heart that I need to check? And if you think there is, if you're thinking, man, there might be some soil in here I need to let Jesus have access to, would you just take your hand, put it over your heart. It's just saying, Lord, check, check my heart. Check my heart, Jesus. Check my heart right now. Here's the psalm that I want to read over you. Psalm 5110 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalms 139.23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's do that today. Say, Heavenly Father, search my heart. Try my thoughts. Examine me. Lord, remove from me anything that shouldn't stay there. Wipe away the past. Make all things new. I trust you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come into my heart. Check my soil. Make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.